Welcome to the Foundry Church Podcast, helping you to forge a lifelong reliance on God. To find out more about the Foundry Church or how to get involved, visit us at thefoundrychurch.com. All right, you officially have 20 days to finish your Christmas shopping, all right? Fair warning, that's it. 20 days until the big day, until Christmas. Now, if you're like me, though, you don't really have to worry about it. You don't have to worry about all these uh, mass mobs and stores and fighting for everything, right? Because day or night, right, just a few clicks away, you can get packages that arrive at your door, right? That's what I do at least, right? I get online, I, I order some stuff, and boom, the next day, it's at my front door, right? Get this, according to the Washington Post, just UPS, right? Just UPS. UPS alone will ship somewhere around 750 million packages this holiday season. Just UPS alone, 750 million packages, right? They will do all the work. All you have to do is just click and wait, it's a beautiful thing, right? And if you have friends and family who enjoy uh, waiting for packages, there are some exciting new gift options that I, I have found this last week uh, that you can get for them through like month clubs, right? Try a, a gift of the month type clubs. And, and the best one is this, for all about $50 a month, all right, get this, you can sign your loved one up for the bacon of the month club. <clears throat> right? He or she will receive two, not one, right? Two pounds of artisan bacon every month. I mean, get that, right? Artisan bacon, not regular bacon. Artisan bacon, all right? All right? Yeah, I'll, I'll print the website over when we can it out. Right? Two pounds of artisan bacon every month for the rest of their life. They will get this in the mail. Right, this, there's other clubs that I found online, like the, the Pickle of the Month Club, where you get a jar of pickles, the different pickles every month. Not as exciting, all right? But there is also the PB&J um, of the Month Club, Peanut Butter and Jelly Sandwich of the Month Club. Just think of all the expectations you can give for Christmas as, as your parents or your kids check the mailbox every day for their gourmet peanut butter and jelly sandwich arriving in the mail. And hopefully it's not smushed, right? That's the worst. Now, a number, <coughs> excuse me, a number of years ago, a CNN reporter told the story of Charles McKinley and his attempt at uh, uh, using the mail to bring about some sort of expectation and surprise to his loved ones. All right, this Charles character, he, he grew up, or he lived in New York, but he grew up in Dallas, and his parents still lived in Dallas, and so he decided he was going to ship himself, like mail himself, from New York to his parents' home in Dallas, and he actually made it home. Right. The final delivery man, though, as he was pulling him off the truck, kind of looked into a crack of the crate and saw him in there and called the police. And unfortunately, Charles was arrested on, on unrelated outstanding warrants. Right, but surprise, expectation, right? Like, get this, right? Foundry Church, get this. 
Do we have it up there? All right, Christmas is certainly a time of waiting and expecting. Right? Christmas is a time of waiting and expecting. You can feel the expectation build as kids grow more and more antsy in school, right? In their classes, as the big day is getting closer and closer. As we prepare and as we, as we wait, it occurs to me that the vast majority of our lives, of what we're doing right now, is filled with waiting and preparation, right? It's, it's filled with waiting and preparation while only a fraction of our life right now is filled with an actual experience, celebration, or doing stuff, right? I consider uh, Thanksgiving, right? The Thanksgiving meal that, that most of us recently enjoyed. Right? How long did it take to prepare the meal, Right? A while, right? I don't know. I mean, I just eat. But it usually takes them a while to prepare, right? How long did it take to eat? Pretty quick in my case, right? Or, or for example, my recent hunting trip. I prepared months for this hunting trip, right? And I sat in a tree stand for countless hours, right? Nothing, right? All this preparation, all this work, nothing, right? Often we think we, we are finally doing stuff. Right? When we think that, we're actually, we're actually just waiting and, and preparing for stuff in a, a new location. Right? Take, take camping, for example. Right? Camping. It feels like you're doing something, right? right? But instead of just sitting in your living room at home, you're sitting in a made makeshift living room in the woods. Right? <laughs> Right? You're, you're just preparing your food outside. You prepare a fire instead of your fireplace into a fire pit. Right? You prepare your meals for cooking instead of over the oven or the stove over the fire. Right? If you stop and think about it, we really shouldn't be surprised that life is filled with so much preparation and waiting than doing. Because look, take a look at this. In some ways, preparation is the doing, right? Preparation is the doing, right? They call it hunting, not getting, right? In fact, preparation is often the point, right? Get this, right? And I want you to, I want you to lean in here, and I want you to, uh, to write this down if you're taking notes or take a picture of the screen because that's the easiest way in our world to take notes. But I want you to get this. I don't think it is too much of a stretch to say that our short time... Our short time here on earth is more about preparation for eternity in heaven than what we accomplish here on earth. Right? That's not a far stretch, right? right? Now, now, let's go to the next slide, right? In fact, the best use of our time on earth, our life right here, our best time on earth here is to prepare or forge, right? Foundry language, forge our lives on becoming more like Jesus and to help other people get prepared to meet Jesus in heaven. Right? That's the, the best use of our time. So, are, are you guys catching kind of what I'm throwing down here? Because look at this, right? The, the most important part of this life is preparing for what happens next, it's putting the work in, 
all right? It's doing the, the, the complete workout, right? It's, it's doing what we're called to do. It's living with our eternal home, kingdom, the kingdom that we're a part of as our first inclination and not, not what we're doing here. And this season that we are in right now, this Advent season is no different as, as Christina was alluding to during our, our time of singing and worship, right? In fact, if we, if we look at the Bible, we'll see that for almost all of, of human existence, God's people have been preparing They've been, they've been waiting with anticipation of what happens next for them and for their kingdom, for their eternal lives. Right, let's, let's take a look real quick at Genesis chapter 3, verse 15. Genesis chapter 3, right at the beginning of your Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible, as always, use the Bibles that are in the seats in front of you, and you can take those with you. They are for you to take, to have, to give away, to use. We're going to be at the very beginning, or you can download the app on that little QR code, and the Bible tab is pulled up there for you. But Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, and then we're going to jump to Luke a little bit later. It says this, and I will cause hostility between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring, he will strike your head, and you will strike his heel. Not your normal Christmas verse, but I'll explain, right? <laughs> right, right there. Right there from the, the first, very first sin, right? The, the very first time that human beings missed the mark. And that's what sin means, right? There, there is archery term. Their arrow didn't hit the bullseye. That's all it means, right? From the very first time uh, that the arrow didn't hit the bullseye, from the very first sin, God has been pointing his people toward a future. God has been pointing his people, us included, his church, right? Even today, to a preferred future, to a vision. And that's what vision means, a preferred future, right? Toward something to look forward to, something to prepare for, right? And that is the one who would defeat Satan. Right? That's what God's pointing us towards. He's pointing us to this preferred future, to, to this Messiah, to the Savior, to the one who would defeat Satan, who would crush with his heel the head of the serpent. Right? This verse is what scholars call the protevangelum. All right? Now, I had a professor, all the Greek professors in college say, you know, if, don't use Greek in your sermon. If you're going to say it, though, like, make sure you know how to pronounce it. And if you don't know how to pronounce it, just sound confident. And so that's what I do. <laughs> I just sound confident, <laughs> all right? All right, all right. Now, now, protis is the Greek word for first, right? First, right? And evangeline, right? Evangelium, I'm sorry, means good news or the gospel, all right? So the protevangelum, confident, is what most fathers believe is to be the first declaration of the gospel, right? of, the, of the good news, of the story of Jesus. The very first time we're given hope in Scripture, right? chapter 3, verse 15 of Genesis. Right? The, the first inclination that we should be preparing for something that is great. Right? The, uh, the beginning of what some call the first advent, 
The first coming of Christ into this world. And from the moment of, of the first sin onward, the entire Old Testament prepares and points us uh, to this great moment when our Savior and Messiah comes to save us from the curse of sin. Of, of not being able to shoot our arrow straight and hit the bullseye. To save us from missing the mark. Right? The, the law... The Old Testament law and all the, 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 the prophets and the, all the temple sacrifices show our need for a Savior. Right? When we're reading that in the Old Testament. And we go on, the, the, the slavery and the, the sorrow of the Israelites right, point to the bondage we all face before we acknowledge his arrival. The the prophets in the Old Testament looked and longed for his coming, right? 700 years, that's crazy, 700 years before Jesus was born, a prophet in the Old Testament, Micah, was inspired by God to look forward to his birth. Look at Micah chapter 5, verse 2, it says, but you, O Bethlehem, Right, are only a small village among all the people of Judea. But you, out of you, a ruler of Israel whose origins are in the distant past will come from you on my behalf. Out of you, little old town, is going to come a ruler on my behalf. Right, the, the, the one from ancient times. That, that, that Micah wrote about has more than 100 different names in the Bible. <laughs> the one that these prophets are waiting for, that, that the whole uh, kingdom of God has been waiting for since Genesis 3 verse 15 has, has hundreds of different names. Right? He's called the, the Alpha and the Omega. He's the, he's the word of life. He's the, described as the bright morning star, the light of the world. Uh, he says, I am who I am. I am. That's who he is. He's the ancient of days. He's Jesus, the Messiah. His name, Emmanuel, means God with us. That's amazing. Advent, anticipation, waiting, preparation. And today, we want to talk about two more people who are waiting and preparing for Emmanuel. I'll go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 1 in the New Testament. Luke chapter 1, and as you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of of context about where we find ourselves today. The cast of Christmas, right? The, the characters of Christmas. And, and today, if you haven't gotten it, we, we're, we're talking about the prophets before the actual Christmas story, like the, the prequel, all right? We're talking about uh, uh, Micah. We're talking about uh, the, the hint of it in Genesis 3. And now we're talking about two newer ones, kind of, right? The parents of the last prophet of this, this season of waiting. So Luke chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And let me give you a little bit more context. First, the first four books of the New Testament are what we call the Gospels, right? And they account for Jesus' life his ministry, what he, he does here on, on earth. And they are written by four different men. And for those of you who do not know, 
Each man wrote them from a, for a different audience, for a different purpose. While they, they all tell the same story, the first four books of the New Testament, the Gospels, they tell the same story, but they're told in a little bit different of a way, depending on what the author or who the author was writing to. Right? The book of Matthew, for instance, was written for the Jews, and it includes a long line of uh, a history of Jesus' lineage. It includes where he is from, because that was very important to the Jewish people of the time. Uh, Mark, his gospel, it was wrote, written for the Romans. The Romans were the rulers of the time. They had all the, the power. They held all the power. And so you'll see themes of power running through this gospel, the second gospel. And then Luke, the gospel that we'll be looking at today, was written by Luke, who was a, a doctor, Right? He was a, a physician, a Greek doctor for the Greeks, and, and he wrote for the Greeks. And, and the Greeks, they loved culture and art. And so in Luke, you'll find songs, poems, and interviews, and insights that are not included in the telling of Jesus' story by the other gospel writers. And then John the Gospel of John, the last one, was written for everyone, and is probably why uh, we find one of the most well-known Bible verses of all time, John 3.16, right? right? In the gospel where it mentions God came for everyone, the whole world. Right? So back to Luke, right? Luke begins his gospel with the story of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Now, you may want to look at this story and just kind of skip past and get to the good stuff like, you know, the manger, right? <laughs> Christmas, right? But we don't want to do that, right? I think Luke includes this story for a very important reason, and we're going to get to that in just a second, but let's read the story, uh, this, this kind of long story. So hang in there with me and follow along with me in your Bible. Starting in verse 5 is where we're going to be in Luke chapter 1. Excuse me. All right, let me turn there. I got to turn there. All right, Luke chapter 1. It says, when Herod, the king of Judea, there was a Jewish priest named Zechariah. He was a member of the priestly order of Abijah, and his wife Elizabeth was also from this priestly line of Aaron. Zechariah and Elizabeth were, were righteous in God's eyes, careful to obey all of the, the Lord's commandments and regulations. Right? They, they did good, right? They had no children because Elizabeth was unable to conceive, and they were both very old. And so one day, Zechariah was serving God in the temple for his order was on duty that week. As was the custom of the priests, he was chosen by lot, like rolling the dice, right, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. While the incense was being burned, a great crowd stood outside praying together. And while Zechariah was in the sanctuary, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the incense of altar. Zechariah was shaken and overwhelmed with fear when he saw him, but the angel said, don't be afraid, Zechariah. God has heard your prayer. Your wife, Elizabeth, will give you a son, and you are to name him John. You will have great joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great in the eyes of the Lord. He must never touch wine or other alcoholic drinks. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before his birth, 
and he will turn many Israelites to the Lord their God. He will be a man with the spirit and the power of Elijah, another Old Testament prophet, right? He will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord. He will turn their hearts of the fathers to their children, and he will cause those who are rebellious to accept the wisdom of the godly. Go ahead and and just keep your finger there. Zechariah and Elizabeth are, are, are just, it says, that they're, they're blameless folks. And they're devout Jews who, who believe and they follow all the commandments and regulations of the Lord, it says, right? They, they keep them all. They seem to be doing everything right on Luke's terms, right? What, what Luke's writing about. They are like the, the Mickey and Minnie of, of relationships of their time. And I tried to find a, a, like an actual couple to compare them to in modern day. It just doesn't exist, right? They, they were rock stars. They were, they were hitting it, right? They were keeping the commandments. But this cute old couple isn't getting everything they want for their good behavior, And that's okay with them. For years, they had been petitioning God to do something uh, about the hard fact that uh, Elizabeth was unable to conceive. And then whammo, right? An angel appears and says, there is hope. There's hope. He says, your waiting is over, and not just your waiting for a baby, but also your waiting for a savior. Because, right? Since Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, their nation, their people have been waiting. And it says it's all going to be over soon. And while the couple prayers seem to be answered, Zechariah is a little weary of the angel Gabriel's message. He says, I mean, we can go ahead and we can read this line with all the skepticism that we can muster, right? In verse 18, where he says, how will, I just, how, I don't know, how will I know that this is to be so? And that's what he says, that's his response. He says, I'm an old man, and my wife's pretty old too, <laughs> right? right? He's, he's getting a little sassy, right? He's getting a little sassy with Gabriel, right? But then Gabriel reminds Zechariah who he is, All right? Take a look at this, right? Then the angel said, right, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of God. It was he who sent me to bring you the good news. <laughs> but now, since you didn't believe what I said, you dummy, you will be silent and unable to speak until the child is born, for my words will certainly be fulfilled at the proper time. Right? That's crazy, right? Notice, right? Zachariah starts his thought with, I'm an old man. I'm old, and Gabriel starts by saying, I am Gabriel. I stand in the very presence of our Lord, of God. Right? There is a big difference between the two, right? A very big difference. It reminds me of that scene from the, the Lion King, and I know that's an older movie, but it's such a great example, right? Simba, the... the, the little cub, the baby cub. He, he's standing in an elephant graveyard and he's surrounded by hyenas and they're, they're closing in on him and, and he does what comes naturally to him, right? What he's seen his father do probably countless times, he growls, right? He, 
But it doesn't really sound, it's more like, it's more like a purr. Right? If you've seen the movie, it's more like a purr instead of a, a growl. So the hyenas, they just start to laugh at him hysterically. Right? And, and they're laughing and they're teasing him and they're closing in. And not a moment too late, Simba's dad jumps down behind him, Mufasa. Right? Now, you don't mess with someone named Mufasa. Right? Mufasa, he jumps down and he roars the roar to end all roars. Right? We've seen the movie, and all doubt is removed, and Simba is saved. Right? He, he, he lets it be known, his authority. Right? Right? And that is what I, I picture. Right? Zachariah is his, his measly little growl back. Right? Not really a growl, more of a purr. And Gabriel stopping his foot and, and crying out, growling out, right? I have come from the very presence of the God of the universe. I think he can handle this. Shut up about your age, right? It doesn't matter. And it is here that we learn our first very important lesson about waiting and preparing for something good to come, right? Advent, like a, like a baby or a savior, right? Sometimes Advent, preparation, Right, begins with repentance. It begins with, with repentance. Right? Take a look. Right? Zechariah literally had to be silenced into repentance and because of his doubt. But time and time again, we see in the, in the Old Testament and here at the very beginning of the New Testament, in that transition, preparation begins with repentance. Right, Joseph's brothers repented after selling him into slavery uh, before their family was reunited and built the nation of Israel. And the, the Israelites had to repent and wander the desert for 40 years before they got into the promised land. Right, Jonah had to repent after getting eaten by a big fish so that the people of Nineveh could hear the hope of God. Right, Zechariah's own son, John the Baptist, who... Right, who, who he had with Elizabeth, you may, like we said, know him as John the Baptist, was the last prophet who had to wait for before Jesus' arrival. And John very clearly states uh, how we are to prepare in the book of Matthew. Right? In Matthew chapter 3, verse 2, he says, he says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. In verse 8, John says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. In verse 11, he declares, I baptize you with the water uh, for repentance. Over and over again, he says, you, you want to get ready for this amazing thing. You want to get ready for this amazing thing, you're going to have to repent. Right? Look at this, right? Repenting in its simplest definition means just to turn just a turn. It's an about face, right? Change of direction. So John isn't calling out, oh, you better start feeling really guilty and miserable for all the things you've done. Right? He's not saying that. He's not saying, oh, I want you to feel really, 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 really bad because you're miserable, no good people. There's going to be a savior coming and, and you got to feel bad. That's not what he's saying. Right? Foundry Church, though, uh, <laughs> real quick, a side note, understand, right, repentance certainly can begin with feeling really bad. That's okay, feeling bad about mistakes we've made, right? But what John is saying is change your approach. Change your approach. Reconsider how you think about things and begin to think and act differently. 
do and be what you're created to do and to be and not what you think you are created to be and to do. Right, for Zechariah, right, the father of John, that meant he needed to be quiet for a little bit and reflect. For Jonah, he had to literally be eaten alive. What is it for you? I'm sure, I'm sure it's somewhere in between those two, right? What do you need to think differently about? What do you need to reflect on? How do you need to act differently? In what situations? In what relationships? In the things you do? What do you need to think differently about? What do you need to do differently about? There's an old preacher story that illustrates this, and it goes like this. And I love these old preacher stories because they're cheesy and they're really funny. And so it talks about Harvey, and I don't know who Harvey is. It's just part of the story. Harvey went into a hardware store to buy a chainsaw, is how the story goes. And he told the clerk, he said, I want one. I want a chainsaw that's going to cut down 10 trees in an hour. All right, that's what I want. And the clerk said, okay, take this one. So the next day, Harvey came back, and he was really upset. He had, like, like snot running out of his nose, steam coming out of his ears. He was frustrated. He was mad. He was angry. Right? And he said, this chainsaw only cut down one little tree in one hour. The clerk said, well, I'm real sorry about that. Let me take a look. He starts looking at it, and he, he grabs the pull cord for the starter, and he gives it a yank, and it starts right up. And, and Harvey looked over at him in wonder and said, what is that noise? Right? Right? Harvey needs to think differently, right? He needs to change his approach. Right? That's what repentance is. Thinking differently, changing our approach, right? You see, in the same way, Advent, right? This season gives us an opportunity to consider our approach and to make a change. In this, this Christmas, is it going to be like all the rest? That's, that's the question. Is it going to be hurried? Is it going to be rushed, stressful, overwhelming? Or will we take our cue from Zechariah and be still, silent? We allow, will we allow this season to be one of reflection and adoration and repentance? Right? Who or what are we forging our lifelong reliance on this season? That's the question. Is it the, the traditions, the rush, the need for a thousand presents under the tree, the, the desire to have everything perfect? Or are we forging our life on the coming king? The king of kings, the lord of lords. Right, there is no better footing on the road to Jesus than a, a broken road with humility, understanding of our need, and repentance. I mean, just look at the rest of the story. Look, skip down to verse 39 of Luke chapter 1 there, where it says this. A few days later, Mary hurried to the hill country of Judea to the town where Zechariah lived. She entered the house and she greeted Elizabeth. At the sound of Mary's greeting, Elizabeth's child leaped within her. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
Elizabeth gave a glad cry and exclaimed to Mary, God has blessed you above all women and your child is blessed. Why am I so honored that the mother of my Lord should visit me, it says. When I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. You are blessed because you believed that the Lord would do what he said. Like I said, right, Zechariah and Elizabeth, they did become pregnant and eventually give birth. But while Elizabeth was still pregnant, her cousin Mary comes to visit her. And that Mary, yes, that Mary, right? The, the Mary, the mother of Jesus, is her cousin. And while Elizabeth is, is surely showing at this time, Mary is not. In fact, Mary, it would seem, has told no one that she's pregnant at this point. In fact, it was just a few days ago that she found out she was having a baby. Right? So, so Mary has gone to her cousin Elizabeth's house, and with just a, a hello, Elizabeth, and her unborn baby, no. Right? They just know that this is the Lord, that this is the Messiah. And Elizabeth did not just know her cousin was pregnant. She knew that this baby was the fulfillment of her waiting, of her dreams, of this this advent, of this anticipation. She calls Mary the mother of my Lord. You can almost hear the excitement in her voice. You know, with uh, all the restrictions for COVID having starting to kind of ease. One of my favorite parts has been seeing videos on, on Instagram and Facebook of people visiting their loved ones after a long time. And this is one of my favorites. And it reminds me a lot of what I think uh, Elizabeth and Mary were like. Take a, take a quick look. Sees his buddy. Big hugs. Yeah, not too long though. We're bros. All right. <laughs> Love and excitement. I think this clip and the hundreds of others that we probably have seen floating across our social media should show and illustrate that relationship between Mary and Elizabeth, right? And the words of Elizabeth teach us our next lesson about preparing for the next great thing. And that's preparation increases the expectation, right? When we're in a season of waiting, preparation in that season increases the expectation of that vision, of that preferred future that the Lord has for us. When, when the Chinese were getting ready to host the 2008 Olympics, they had uh, the vision and the expectation to show the entire world that they had become a, a world power, So in 2001, the International Olympic Committee announced China would host the Olympic Games, and preparations began immediately. Right by 2007, China had built a new national stadium, a new national swimming center, a new shooting range, a new cycling venue, a new national tennis center, a new national hockey stadium, and on and on and on, right? China used more than 50 15,000 performers for the open ceremonies alone, right? 15,000 performers, and of those performers, 2,200 had a small part in demonstrating martial arts, right? 
karate chopping. And that group, the 2,200 of those uh, martial arts demonstrators, they had to live together and prepare together in an army camp. And they lived there and practiced together for a solid three months. For three months, right? And they practiced for 16 hours every day, right? Many of the performers had to wear diapers because they weren't given bathroom breaks during rehearsals uh, because they weren't allowed to take breaks. One rehearsal was reported that it lasted 51 hours straight during a rainstorm. Now, there's much to be said about China's human rights record. But I have to admit that they delivered during that open ceremony, though, if you can remember, right? They had huge expectations. They made tremendous preparations, and they delivered amazing results. I mean, have you ever considered how you would prepare for work or for school if you expected Jesus to be sitting right there when you arrived? Think about that. Right? How would you prepare for church if you knew that God Almighty was going to show up and meet you when you got there? Right? How would you spend the time uh, getting ready in the morning if you knew that the Holy Spirit uh, was just waiting to tell you something uh, amazing as soon as you were ready to slow down and just to listen for a moment? Think about that. Right? If you know you were living in the, the last days, this second season of waiting, of Advent, would you do things differently? Right? If we had such expectations, surely it would affect our preparations for each season of life and even each day. Right now, if, if we're honest with ourselves, we know that Jesus will be at work and he will be at school. He's with us here. right? He's with us all the time. God is always ready to meet us when we're ready to reach out to him. God's word is alive and it's active. And and God is willing to to speak to us if we're willing to read and listen to apply those truths to our life. We can be certain that all of us are are in our own individual last days. Regardless of how long it takes for Jesus' return. Perhaps knowing that Emmanuel is here with us, was here with us yesterday, and will be here with us tomorrow, should change the way we prepare for Christmas, work, school, church, tomorrow morning, next year, in 50 years. Right? I mean, let's finish the story. Just verse 57 there, real quick. When it was time for Elizabeth's baby to be born, she gave birth to a son. And when her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had been uh, very merciful to her, everyone rejoiced with her. When the baby was eight days old, they all came for the circumcision ceremony. They wanted to name him Zechariah after his father, but Elizabeth said, no, his name is John. What, they exclaimed, there's no one in your family by that name. So they used gestures to ask the baby's father what he wanted the name to him to be named. He motioned for a writing tablet, and to everyone's surprise, he wrote his name is John. Instantly, Zechariah could speak again, and he began praising God. 
all fell upon the whole neighborhood, and the news of what had happened spread throughout the Judean hills. Everyone who heard about it reflected on these events and asked, what will this child turn out to be? For the hand of the Lord was surely upon him in a special way. Right, Zechariah had been silent for nine months. And the first words out of his mouth are basically, oh, listen to my wife, right? She just gave birth to a baby without any meds. Let her name the baby. No, right? Well, what he really says is his name is John. His name is what God said it will be, right? My son will be everything God has called him to be. You know, when my, my parents were pregnant with me, my name was going to be Ian, right? Ian, that was monogrammed on things. Like, Ian was going to be my name. And now my birth was, was kind of sort of traumatic. And one of my, my parents, my mom, was on a lot of painkillers. And so they asked her my name. And instead of saying Ian, the noise that kind of came out of her, I'm told, was kind of like a donkey. It was like, you know, like she couldn't say it, right? And after several attempts, because, you know, she just had given birth and she was on painkillers, like she was all, you know, had IVs and all that stuff, she's like, just call him Andrew. <laughs> All right, so that became my name, and Andrew, by just providence, godly providence, means strong and manly, right? Right? And so I think I've become everything my name says I am. And after Zachariah's repentance and Elizabeth's expectation, they have a son. They named him John, which in Hebrew means graced by God graced by God. I think Gabriel and his parents got it right. And I think that brings us to our third and final lesson about preparation in the waiting, right? And preparation in the waiting, and that preparation brings fruit, right? Preparation brings fruit, right? Do you want to know if you're uh, preparing for Christ's arrival, for his second coming, right? Do you want to know if you're doing that? Do you want proof that you're getting ready for Advent? then just answer this question. Is my life bearing fruit? Is my life bearing fruit? Right, that's not the test for whether or not you'll be saved. That's not the test for that. The, the test for your salvation is found in places like Romans chapter 10 where it says, <coughs> excuse me, if you declare with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. Or in places like John 3, 16, where it says, whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Or in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, repent of your sins and be baptized for the forgiveness of those sins and the gift of the Holy Spirit. Right? We take God at his word. Right? The test uh, for a heart that is active, though, in its preparation to meet Jesus is the test of whether or not we see evidence of fruit in our lives. Right? Are you, you, you putting where you're, are you putting your money where your, your talk is type of thing? Right? Right? There are all sorts of varieties of spiritual fruit. Right? Increased service, a closer relationship with God through spiritual disciplines, a, a greater ability to encourage or care for others, a, a strong family life, victory over sin, greater peace, deeper love, like all the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, and kindness, and, and goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Are we seeing those things in our lives? That's the fruit. Right? A greater focus on the vision that God has uh, for you. That's the fruit. So, so think of your life three or four Christmases ago, 
right? Do you have, do you have more fruit in your life now? Think about that. Do you have more love? Do you have more joy? Do you have more kindness? Are you more in tune with who God is? Are you grabbing a hold of your best life? The life that God has come to give you, a life abundant, a life that is full, not the easiest of lives, but your best life, a life that is forged on God. Are you, are you grabbing a hold of that? Are you living life more faithfully? Or are you living life more selflessly? Do you have fruit in your life? If so, keep going, right? You're getting ready. You are effectively preparing. If not, it's not too late to start bearing fruit. So repent of complacency, right? Turn in direction, right? Uh, repent of complacency or religion or anything else that is holding you back. Every time I say repent of religion, because I've said it a few times this last year, I always get the question, what do you mean by that? Are we supposed to repent of going to church? Church, Christianity is not, not something we just do. It's a relationship. So if it is something that you're just doing, just to cross off a, a box on your list, repent of that because it's about a relationship with Jesus. That's faith. That's not just a religion. It's a relationship. The power by which we live. So draw near to him in expectancy and look for ways to fruitfully live out your faith. Christmas is coming. In our expectation, the second coming is coming. Let's get prepared. Bear fruit. Let's stand and worship the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the one whose power we have available to us to bear all the fruit we need to bear. You know, the, the, promised, the promise that Malachi, the, this prophet, and all the other prophets daring the Old Testament times clung to was that they would be rescued. That there was a rescuer that was coming for them. And it's so important to remember that our preparation and the waiting and Advent is not for our salvation. It's for, the, it's for our rescue. It's for the uh, response to what Jesus has already done in us and, and for us and is going to do through us. Right? And in a movie, one of my favorite movies, um, Captain Phillips, Tom Hanks is, is acting in it. It's from like 2013 and, and he's Captain Phillips and they're on this boat. And you'll, you'll likely remember that it's based on this true story of how pirates from some... Um, like, tongue-tied here, Somalia, a commandeered a cargo ship piloted by this Captain Phillips, Tom Hanks' character. And through a series of events, the, the captain, he convinces his captors, these pirates, to let his crew go while, while he and the pirates leave the cargo ship in a lifeboat. And the pirates then, uh, they, they promptly make a beeline straight for the coast of Somalia with the lifeboat. And they're looking to cash in on this, this captive captain that they have. And one of the best moments of the entire movie, and maybe the, the best moment in the real Captain Phillips' life, like the 
biggest moment of relief in this whole story is when out of the darkness, the horns of the USS uh, Bainbridge thunder through the sea and floodlights from this, this battleship illuminate the ocean and the lifeboat. Right, you can see the relief wash over Captain Phillips' face in the movie. Right, the, the USS Bainbridge is one of 46 missile destroyers in the, the U.S. Navy with a massive gun capability and missile capabilities of able to destroy more than 100 targets at the same exact time. Right, and when this, this ship, this massive ship, this, this, this USS uh, Bainbridge comes to the rescue, you know the pirates are in trouble. Right? <laughs> they are in trouble and that real hope has finally arrived for the captive, Captain Phillips. And after watching the, the, the movie I, for the first time, I thought, man, I don't ever want to be on the wrong side of the U.S. Navy. And one thing I hope we understand about Christmas, about this season, is that in the midst of all the nativity scenes and the, the sweet softness of away in a manger, is that Christmas was a downright rescue mission behind enemy lines. It was. And the one who came to our rescue wasn't some outgunned, outclassed, hopeless underdog. The one who came to our rescue was Emmanuel, God with us, who had the power and the authority of all of heaven to call down the angels for his purpose and his desire. Right, the ancient one who came to rescue us, humbled himself to become fully man because we were held hostages, captive by sin. Christmas was the beginning of a rescue mission that was conceived and carried out on our behalf by, by none other than God himself, the God that we're forging our life on. And so this Advent, I'm not, I'm not expecting and preparing to be stressed out and overwhelmed. This Advent, I, I am not expecting things to fall apart. I'm not preparing to be defeated. I am waiting expectantly for, for God, the God that I am forging my life on, to come through for you and for me each and every moment. I'm waiting expectantly for Jesus to be revealed in our lives. And in this time of waiting, I am expectantly waiting, knowing that he is preparing me for heaven and he's chiseling away at the hardness of my heart. My God. I'm, I'm waiting expectantly for, for the plans he has for you and for me and for this church to make space issues in heaven because of what we do. I'm waiting expectantly for his kingdom to advance. I'm waiting expectantly for the lost to be found and the blind to see, for the sick to stand up and not just walk, but to dance in the streets. I'm expectantly waiting for his love to be known to a hurting and dying world through you through me, and through this church.
I'm expectantly waiting for Jesus to come again, the second advent, and to claim his bride. Emmanuel, God with us. God has come. We have been rescued. And through his rescue, we have been saved and brought back home. That's the God we serve. 